We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Mike. Darius is still out. He'll be back soon. And the Milwaukee Bucks tied up the NBA Finals with a really entertaining Game 4 where they they came back, they survived. Just a remarkable shot-making performance by Devin Booker. And Mike, since last time we talked about this series, a few adjustments have been made. Some of what you said in the last pod that we discussed have come to fruition. And I just want to give uh, Mike Budenholzer, who's much maligned, I think, some credit for some of the adjustments that he's made. And I want to start with Phoenix on offense and Milwaukee on defense. Some of the things that have transpired. You've got P.J. Tucker defending Devin Booker, which is a really interesting plot twist. While Drew Holiday has been really hounding and ball pressuring Chris Paul to the point where CP3 had easily his worst game in the series in game four and was kind of rushing. He's, you know, some uncharacteristic turnovers. Been a really, you know, interesting adjustment. What I love about the Tucker on Booker thing, which, mind you, Booker's going to win a lot of those battles, and he did, is that it neutralizes so much of their ball screen game, where if they have to switch, then Tucker ends up switching onto Aiton on the roll. Now, mind you, this is in the non-Lopez lineups, and we'll get into that uh, because Lopez has, has been hurting them, at least those minutes have been, and I'm curious your thoughts on how they can at least get better in those minutes, but that's a little bit later. That ability to switch to guard Booker competently and then switch on to Aiton if necessary. Aiton was only three for nine in game four, only had one offensive rebound, although a ton of defensive rebounds. Aiton is the one guy on their team, Mike, who's kind of dependent on others to get him shots or more dependent on circumstances, how the defense is playing. Devin Booker can hit pretty much any shot, right? CP3 knows how to get his despite his struggles in game four. But I've just really liked what Milwaukee has done defensively. And I'm curious what you're seeing, kind of some of the adjustments that they've made from game one to this point of tying the series. Yeah, I think there was a little natural correction in the series. And here's how I'll I'll explain it. So these teams are close enough to me talent-wise that some of the non-X's and O's things end up coming up in the X's and O's a lot. And it's as simple 
as home court advantage. And so that, you know, I thought was the big difference for Phoenix, certainly in game one, that and the rest advantage. And then in game two, when Milwaukee had kind of found a way to match the effort, their execution wasn't quite there yet. But I thought by game three, OK, the Bucks now by that point, the Bucks had seen what Phoenix does enough where a they could adjust some. You mentioned Tucker, him on to Booker more holiday, focusing more on Chris Paul, which, by the way, was Chris Paul. We had his worst game since he was kind of banged up with the shoulder. Uh, he had seven assists and five or sorry. Yeah, seven assists and five turnovers. That is mm-hmm. not what you typically see from Chris Paul, right? More. It's usually mm-hmm. like eight, to two, you know, so that was a big thing. And Booker. You know, he did get a lot of switches. He would get switched over. He would call over like Connaughton's guy to set a screen. Uh, and and he would, you know, he'd be able to kind of get into his mid-range action. So he, and he was super efficient, 17 for 28. I'll get to the free throw line nine times. That's how you get 42. But that was really all that, like, like Milwaukee was going to allow that. They were going to allow him to attack one-on-one. And they weren't going to give up as many of the wide open corner threes uh, that they were giving. And they weren't going to let Chris Paul um, do his thing other than take some of the contested mid-range shots. But when Drew Holiday's on you, it's a little bit different um, almost from anybody else. So those were some of the adjustments that you mentioned. But I just thought that Milwaukee was able to settle in. They had the home crowd. Their defense was great. Giannis, I thought his mindset was fantastic. And it just evened out a little bit. And I'm glad that it did. Like, I'm glad as a I'm a neutral in this series. I'm not rooting for one team or the other um, like I, I might often. But I'm rooting sort of for the NBA, which means I want a long series. And even for as much as Milwaukee had kind of started to figure out, Phoenix had the lead for most of the game. And Milwaukee had to make a couple of key plays down the stretch. They had to overcome just a terrible foul from Giannis, reaching in in the bonus on Jay Crowder uh, with two and a half minutes left. And then, you know, Middleton made a couple of key shots. So I'm glad it worked out how it did. I do think it's been a pretty good chess match from the coaches and the players and all that. And it's, it's just a good series, Pete. It's an even good series right now. Very entertaining so far. And Chris Paul as a scorer has been something that I've circled from the beginning of the series. I thought he had to score 20, 22 a game or so in how this would would go. How much of the struggles that he had last night do you think are kind of game specific to that game four? Or is do you think the Drew on, on CP3 is something that that's going to be difficult for him to overcome because we've also seen him have 40 point games, you know, had that great game six close out against the Clippers and probably, you know, a yes and no a little from column a from column B, but how much of an impact are you seeing drew have on CP three? Well, he's, there's no question. He's having an impact. I don't think this is just Chris missing some open shots and, and struggling a little bit. Like I think that this gets back to one of my favorite little pet theories that I probably talk about too much here on the podcast. And it's that whole small guard thing. And the one, the best way to neutralize a guard um, like that is to put some size and some strength and some just additional athleticism that that player is not going to be able to make up. And Drew Holiday is one of those players that can switch over and really neutralize uh, or neutralize is too too, um, strong of a word, but at least make life more difficult. And I don't think that other teams had that player. Uh, you know, the Clippers in theory could have, but they didn't really use Paul George or certainly Kawhi, especially later in the series, to go over on Chris Ball. They kept those guys more um, to either to Booker or just as a help defender um, off of the corner wing. I I really like this. When a team is that much dependent on a point guard to get them into sets, I do. that's one of the first things that I would try to do in a series is stick that big, tough guard on them. And now... It's really so if you just look at his game lock, he, he, of course, was terrific in game one, right? 32 points, 12 and 19. And that one, we didn't see quite as much holiday game two. 
Uh, Chris, again, plays 41 minutes. He's 10 for 20 from the field, but he hit three threes, assisted turnover. That was where it started to turn, though, assisted turnover. And I think you get some of the credit for Holiday playing on him more, Pete. So it was eight to six in that one. And you're saying, okay, hold on, Chris Paul. In the entire series against the Clippers, he only turned the ball over eight times. And, And so, like... And so that, you know, that right there is now part of that's because he only played the four games, right? He missed the first two games. But uh, nonetheless, then you get into game three against Milwaukee and he's got nine assists, but he's got four turnovers. So still, that's a little higher. And it just shows you that Drew Holiday has been in his shirt the whole time. And so he does. He can't see quite as well. He doesn't have quite as much space. They're expecting where he's going to go. And then we already mentioned the seven to five assisted turnover ratio. So I think that's an adjustment that it's going to be hard for Chris Paul. He's not going to get back to game one. Chris Paul, right? Like this, I think they have now, they have cracked something a little bit with him. And this is where now the depth for Phoenix was a strength for a while. But when campaign hasn't quite been himself since that injury, where do they go? If not just because Booker just gave us 40. And so who is that now? Aiton could play better. Aiton could score more. But you're starting to get into the point where like Milwaukee's got a real belief now that they can win this series. Like had they lost this, I think that it's like, all right, well, I don't know if they're gonna be able to win three straight times, even if they're starting to play better and better. And now this is this has got to be real belief for Giannis and the Bucks. Yeah, I think that game four was an opportunity lost because for Phoenix because Booker's shot making was so wonderful. They had a chance because th- in terms of shot quality in that game, Milwaukee got better shots. Lopez, for example, went over five, I think, on his threes, and at least four of them were clean looks where I if he got those same five shots in every game I'd expect him to make two of them on average and that makes a big difference in this type of game right and so I thought Milwaukee's shot quality was better than Phoenix but sometimes a great shot maker is gonna hit great shots and give you a chance to to steal a game and their inability to get shot creation anywhere else like with respect to drew and, and cp3 defense of course especially in today's era is not that one-on-one it's just drew versus cp3 but i think what drew does there is a a physical and conditioning component to it that's hard to see and this is even speculative on my end i don't know how tired drew makes chris paul but i do know as a basketball principal that putting that bigger faster stronger athlete on a guy and picking him up full court even if it doesn't bear fruit on that play even if not in that game mike that constant wearing a guy down and wearing a smaller guy down with a bigger athlete and then that goes to their lineups where it's portis in instead of lopez and you've got Giannis hedging Giannis had an all-time block on that play against book right where amazing you know that no roller behind coverage that I always talk about? That was like the peak execution of that play. Giannis, they've been running those handoffs for Booker all game, right? That's one of the ways. And it makes sense because Booker has a quickness advantage against P.J. Tucker. And you run him off of a couple of screens. All of a sudden, there's separation and a head of steam. So they've been running that. Booker goes in the left corner, gets two screens for him. The second guy handing him the ball off. And he's got an opportunity to either go to the basket or operate in the mid-range. Giannis shows high above the free throw line. Giannis is the guy who greets Booker as he comes off that second screen, shows high. Crowder is lifted up even beyond the wing and Connaughton doesn't tag. And so Booker, and this is, I love basketball, man. This is such a small quote unquote fundamental mistake, but it makes all the difference in the world is Booker does not bring his gather hand to the ball in doing this. And so he doesn't sell the, like at that point, if you're lifting the ball up in the air off of one 
one hand like that, more than likely from that distance, it's going to be a pass. And so it gives Giannis just a fraction of a second more to anticipate the lob. Giannis turns, takes one step and jumps and meets freaking Aiton at the top of the circle. Mike, there's only one other player in the NBA who can make that play. And you know who that is, right? Yeah, I tweeted that last night. It's Anthony Davis. Oh, did you? Nice. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're on the same page for sure there. And that's it's it reminds me a little bit of the play in the finals and last year. And I'm trying now, was it Dragic that had the ball? And maybe it was Bam. Do you remember the play, Pete? Yeah, where he got the block where it was Danny Green back pressuring Dragic and kind of funneling him into AD. Or was it um so oh, there, oh no, are you talking about a lob here? Yeah, yeah. So there are a couple of these, so there are a couple of these plays, but the one that I'm thinking of, so AD is basically like he's showing on a screen roll to Dragic, but he's but he's he's like backed up enough where mm-hmm. Dragic is like, well, wait, I can't actually throw this lob, and but I can't shoot it either because it's like he's in both places at once. Yes. So it was a little different. It's more of a bang bang play where like this one in slow motion, almost like Giannis. He, as you mentioned, he's like kind of way out to Booker. He covers more ground there. AD is just sort of like the threat of his length and his positioning, and but it's the same kind of thing. And we've talked about how those guys are similar on that end. And AD probably has, he's around the rim a little bit more. He's got better big man shot blocking instincts. Like that's what he did at Kentucky, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, the, the way that's the first thing that I thought of. And I'm like, there's only a couple guys and really a couple, I, I didn't want to discredit LeBron for for making a play like that, but LeBron doesn't have quite that same length that I think that you need, you need that extra crazy like foot on the end of your arm, right? (laughs) To Must be, be able nice, to right? Extend it. And like, so Gobert's got the length, but he doesn't have the quickness, you know? Yeah, he couldn't to, get there in time. Yeah, right. to get there in time. So it's a really, it's a beautiful just feat of athleticism to watch that play. And it, and it's a little bit like the way you were talking about the way Holiday plays defense. Like that's a, he's just a natural athlete. Like it's, uh, I don't care. The conditioning level is one thing, but uh, here, let's just stay on that play for a second because you were just finishing up. But you're right. Anthony Davis is for sure uh, the other guy we could see doing that. Right. And that, that's one of the things superstars do this in different aspects of the game, not in every single one of them, but in the places where they're special, they can be two places at once, whether it's on offense or defense. And so that ability to show high above the free throw line. And so what the impact of that is Booker can't just come around that handoff and step into a 17 footer because, and he was knocking those down all game. That's why they kept running that action is that's Booker's shot. And when he's feeling it, man, there are a few guys in the NBA that can get hot than Devin Booker can. And so Giannis stepping out that far discourages that shot attempt. But what that's supposed to give up, and this is what in the play design from Monty Williams in lifting Crowder, and with Milwaukee not tagging on that, that's that leaves that lob to Aiton open. That's one of the ways that Phoenix has been beating teams over the course of these playoffs is if you make an adjustment in this way, we have the counter to that. And what superstars do, uh, defensive superstars, athletic size, which I think is going to be the topic of uh, one of our upcoming pods in terms of how we build this Lakers roster coming up, is that ability to beat in two places at once, it becomes a Oh, now what? Now where do we go? So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, this certainly, uh, I think Milwaukee has momentum right now, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what you think Phoenix can do to adjust. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Mike, Booker has this huge game, but everybody else is pretty quiet for Phoenix. Booker has 42, but they're in the low hundreds in where they finish that game. With CP3 kind of struggling with not just Drew, but the collective size and athleticism, I thought they did a great job of funneling CP3 toward the basket and, you know, got a couple block shots as a result of that. There isn't a lot like Bridges and Crowder and Johnson, even Aiton isn't so much a guy that you throw to the ball, throw the ball to and say, hey, go to work. They tried posting him up a little bit. And when Milwaukee fronted him, they do a great job of flashing from the weak side and get that high low pass. But by and large, that hasn't been that effective. What does Phoenix need to do to put a little more points on the board to get back into those 110 type of point totals where they were winning games in game one and game two? Yeah, I do think that they have to find more threes and more engagement for Bridges, uh, who was big early in the series. Uh, he only got four uh, four shot attempts. Yeah, that's one. really low. Yeah, and and so like he's you know he's a good shooter. You can get him out in transition a little bit. I think at home. So I would expect it, like he had seven points. I think you get him fifteen right, and that there makes a big difference. Aiden, Aiden three for nine. Like that's probably not going to happen again. He's he was going nine for ten most games. So he'll play better. Um, he'll play better at home. Crowder will be about the same as last game, right? He was, I think it was three for nine from three. And, you know, some games, as we talk about, he's 0 for eight. Some games he's six for seven. I think the nine attempts for Crowder is notable too. I think that's kind of indicative of that's where Milwaukee is willing to let the ball go to for, for a three. Like if, if yes. I've got a choice to rotate off of Bridges or Johnson versus Crowder, you know, the choice is obvious there. hundred percent. So that, that is something that that is intentional. I think you're right. And so, but that's, so Phoenix though, can, can intentionally try to, to try to enact some actions where they're just not giving Milwaukee a choice, right? If they're, if they're going to have to help, if you want to help off bridges, it's got to be in this spot and it's not just Crowder, the guy that's going to shoot that. So they can do some X's and O's there. Um, I think coming back for game five, but the biggest thing I just think it's Chris Paul is going to play better. He's got to play better. He's got a, 10 points on five of 13. And then that seven to five assisted turnover, that's got to change. And even if Drew holidays in his shirt, the whole game again, He'll just by nature play a little better. And and that could be that's all the difference. Remember, this was a game that Phoenix led almost the whole duration. And if, by the way, so you, the, you, you saw the Devin Booker play where he didn't get called for his sixth foul. 
Oh, yeah, that was absurd. Yes, that was absurd. Now, that was kind of a ball don't lie ending, though. Thankfully, that would have been really tough to take uh, if Phoenix had won the game and based in part on that call. So I was glad that that evened out. And then let me give you the flip side real quick, though. So from Milwaukee standpoint, they can think, all right, well, we're heading to game five. Drew Holiday went four for 20 as much as we just talked about how good he was defensively and over five from three. He makes maddening decisions on offense. He's so interesting because Mike, and and this is for anybody watching game five, Milwaukee's strategy is so geared toward we are going to get to the rim. We're going to try over and over and over again to, and Holiday reminds me, his attacks to the basket reminds me of, you remember those wind up toys where you'd wind it up and it would go forward. And if it would bump into something, it would kind of scoot to the side a bit until it could keep going, but it would keep pressing forward. Like some of the decisions that Holiday's making in terms of his drives, like on one hand, they're maddening. On the other, I do think it plays toward this idea that Milwaukee has a higher floor offensively than Phoenix does because so much of their attack is predicated on we're just going to kick your ass around the rim and Phoenix can't do that in the same way and those shots are they have a, a lower variance than a lot of the looks that that Phoenix gets right yep it's it's a good way to put it so if you even with Holiday's proclivity to sometimes make interesting decisions on offense and not finish around the rim <laughs> And which which happened again. There was a bunch of shots that he missed at the rim. In fact, I'm just uh, I'm pulling up his shot chart um, as we speak here for the last game. So three for eleven in the paint, and a lot of these there were only Oof. only two of those shots. Pete were from outside the restricted area. So restricted area, he's got two layups. He missed three layups, and then he missed three basically floater, actually four like floater range type shots. So he's got to hit a couple of those. And then I mentioned the zero for five from three. Because he was pretty good, actually, at least in terms of shot making um, in game three. So you figure you get some more pop out of him. You know, Portis didn't do anything. Uh, he was one for six from the field. And Jeff Teague played 11 minutes without taking a shot. So I think the guy that we haven't talked a lot about so far is Giannis. And what is Phoenix going to do? <laughs> like, they they haven't – he has been the best player on the floor by a lot. This game, he's 11 for 19. And he plays 43 minutes. We mentioned the ridiculous defensive play. And the other thing that was impressive, so Giannis in this game had eight assists and only one turnover. Now, for Giannis to go eight and one there, and not to be repetitive, but the Chris Paul seven and five, they're getting pressured differently. And and, and Phoenix, in a sense, is like happy for Giannis to pass some. And maybe that reflects in the assist to turnover ratio. But we've got, Pete, what do you think about the way they play Giannis? Like, should it be more doubles? Should it be... Uh, like, do you like the fact that he only took 19 shots and and eight free throw attempts and hat, but the assistant turnover? Like, what what would you do differently on Giannis if you're Phoenix here? I I actually think they did about as good of a job as their particular roster can do in Game Four. That's another one of the reasons why I think that was a missed opportunity for them because. I thought they did a great job of building a wall. At some point, the block shots were like seven to nothing in Phoenix's favor, in part because there were so many plays, Mike. And this is part of the reason why you get such a eight to one assist to turnover ratio. Five defenders have their feet in the paint to build that wall. CP3 said this after game three was like, we're going to have to build this wall against him somehow or another. And to do that, it's an all hands on deck type of situation for Phoenix, because for as good as Phoenix is, they are vulnerable to that athletic size. Giannis is dominant for very similar reasons against them as to why AD is dominant against them. AD 
was not at his best when he's shooting those face-up jumpers. It's when he's going to the basket, getting 15, 20 free-throw attempts. And we saw that in the first three games of the series from Giannis. In collapsing into the paint, I thought Phoenix did a good job of... But that that's kind of like what Phoenix has to hope for, right? Is that we can collapse into the paint, we can close out-ish to their shooters and hope that a Drew Holiday goes 0 for 5, that Brooke Lopez doesn't have it that night. But in terms of projecting forward in the series, and this is always tricky to do in a road game, right? But the shot quality, if you played that same game 100 times enough to balance out the shot quality for each team. Milwaukee wins that game 80, 85 times. They got good shots. I just don't think, like, do you see something that Phoenix can do differently to account for Giannis? Because I just don't think they have the personnel other than all five guys on deck, but then that opens up opportunities elsewhere. You know, I'm if I'm a Phoenix Suns fan, I'm a little bit nervous for the first time in this series. I was feeling pretty comfortable, and there are a couple reasons why. So just looking at game four and going off of what you just said, Milwaukee only shot 40% from the field, 40.2%. They missed a lot of good, wide-open shots. Phoenix, on the other hand, shot 51%. And Mm -hmm. they have to feel like, too, mentally, that that's kind of the game that that got away. And that's the series, in a sense, that got away. Because if they they win that, and they're leading for most of the game, they go home, and they've got two chances to win. And a lot of where... So my the way that I understand the playoffs is formed by a couple of things. You know, one is is growing up on Michael Jordan, and like that's so. There's a certain thing that I look for in when a team gets the advantage, and when a team has more talent, and when a team competes better. But the real way that it was formed was when I got the Laker job and following that team through the back to back titles in nine and ten, and you know, listening to Kobe and listening to Phil, and they always it always got to a point with those teams where it was game five at home. And that was when you saw the, the real effort. Like that was when, okay. Like that was when, even if they may have, they didn't bring their best energy and their best effort, say against Houston um, on the road and they go back two to two, but they're like, all right, we, we know we've got the better stuff. We know we've got more talent. We know if we play our best game and you play your best game, we're going to win by 15. And that's not the case for Phoenix here. Like they can't go home and think, oh, you know what? We just we just haven't played our best game and we're going to put that on Milwaukee. We've got the physical advantage. We've got whatever it might be. We've got in, in the Lakers sense, of course, they had Kobe like they don't have that. And, and don't even get me started on the Booker to Kobe thing. Um, they've got like that. That's a that's a non-starter. <laughs> and, I'm a, and I like Booker a lot. I've, I've actually been pro Booker um, despite sure. Phoenix's struggles even the last couple of years. But let's 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 not get it twisted. Kobe, he is not like he is not that type of all around destructive force of nature right. uh, and like a, to- a clear, obvious top five player. So that's where I'm worried. And I don't it's not. So it's not necessarily adjustments. I don't think there's something that Phoenix can just do that. And that, this is the same reason why, Pete, all all year long, I said, really like Phoenix, really good team. They're right there with Utah. Uh, they're right there with Denver, but they don't have that. Lakers gear and a potential Clippers gear that we never quite saw that we never quite, but talent wise was at least possible um, or Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets, they don't have that fifth gear to kick into. So they just have to do what they do. Well, they have to execute it. Well, it's got to be Chris and running the offense and, you know, Booker being efficient and Aiton being efficient inside and the defense, not giving up the open looks, but they don't have that answer to that huge, that Giannis type AD type LeBron type guy. Um, that's in the mood and that to me is the biggest thing that flipped the series and I picked Phoenix in seven but 
I feel myself wanting, I don't like to go against my original, but, but I feel myself wanting to go over and kind of ride this Bucks wave now and feel like they might have a little edge. It's just that that home court uh, that Phoenix has has been has been pretty solid. But I thought they played I thought they played well enough to win game two at Phoenix and the crowd they kind of the crowd wasn't that big of a factor and they just they just didn't execute. So I think I'm talking myself into Pete uh, thinking that the Bucks uh, I may I may be like you know 55 45 favoring the Bucks now. Um, Interesting. Where, where are you at? Where are you at with it? Oh man, it's it's very close. I, it all comes down to Chris Paul for me in that um, I do think that. On, in a neutral environment, I would agree with you on that like 55, 45 bucks at this point because one of the, the things that you also see over the years with playoff series is they always reach a point, especially at high levels, where you've seen their adjustments, they've seen your adjustments, and it becomes kind of this mud wrestling, just nasty, gritty, grimy game where everybody yeah. knows each other's tendencies and nothing is that pretty and every point is at a premium. And Who wants it more? Right. To an extent. So to an extent, but I also think that the physical attributes become more in play at that point, For meaning sure. that yep, yep. that Giannis is going to get his types of buckets in an in a way that is more difficult for Booker, more difficult for CP3. That said, Phoenix wins this series if Chris Paul can score over these last three games, score at a high level, be able to single out Pat Connaughton on a switch or Bobby Portis and get to his spot and knock down shots that we know that he's capable of making. And so as these series go on, like I think Budenholzer has done a, a phenomenal job. Monty Williams was very prepared. I don't think he's made as many adjustments as Budenholzer has. And maybe that this most recent loss kind of dictates some changes in game five. I'm curious, curious to see if he does that, but this has been a wonderfully coached series on both ends. And that's why – so the, I want to stick on the Chris Paul point, though. That's why I'm a little nervous from the Suns' perspective because when the Clippers needed to be finished off, Chris Paul did it. And right. in, a, in a sense, if Chris just has his average game – and they had three days rest for both mm-hmm. of these games. Well, three, I guess two that's days right. rest. But like the games were and, – and he didn't do it. And so I'm a little that, – that makes me a little nervous thinking of playoffs past with Chris – where he's at some point run out of gas because he has to do so much at that size against so much physical size on the other side. And that's, so that's the, to me, like, I'm still, I don't want to, I'm not going to move off. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to stick with the Suns and seven because I don't want to move off it, but I'm just, I've, I've seen a couple of things these last two games, mostly with Chris Paul that would have me nervous. Cause if he beat, if he can't do what you said, then they're going to lose. That's that's right. And the difference between doing that against the Clippers team is the Clippers are not a particularly athletic and big team. Paul George is for his size and Kawhi Leonard would have been had he played. But most of the, your Reggie Jackson's, your Marcus Morris's, your Zoos, yeah, most of that roster, they're not like big athletes. They're very skilled. They've got a lot of old man game on that Clippers team. And, and there's a lot to right. be said for that, but they're not going to overwhelm you athletically. And so one of the reasons this is Chris Paul's first finals for as wonderful of players he is as the point guard and all that is at some point, those athletes become oppressive. And Phoenix has not faced a team except for the Lakers in the first round at full strength, of course, that because even Denver is not a particularly athletic team. Jokic is right. wonderful, but he's not athleticism with size, right? And so this is exactly what Phoenix is vulnerable to, in part because Chris Paul's 5'11". And Pete, even with the Bucks and like the guys that they're on the court, so 
Connaughton, Connaughton is a great athlete. Like he's a yeah. big, his, you know, his rebounds, Mike, he's killing it on those sandwich rebounds yeah. where he has to drop down. He's got that 42 inch vertical and he's cleaning up all them boards that Aiton was getting yeah. offensive he, boards on he earlier. Played, he he could have played pro baseball. Like for, I mean, he is a, he is a, mm-hmm. a big athletic dude. Holiday, we, it's obvious, right? Middleton is a big dude. Uh, uh, Tucker. Not just big, but super tough. And then, you know, Giannis kind of speaks for himself. And even Bobby Portis, if you get Bobby Portis on the switch, he's going to bang into you a couple of times. So this is where, like, I think I think it's a little bit like the Brooklyn Nets and Lakers potentially meeting in the finals, where Brooklyn's got that skill, you know, yes. and, and the late, but I would like the longer that kind of a series goes on, the more I like the physical, big athletic team, because skill Skill gets you a long way in the NBA, but it, it's a little bit like, okay, just think about it like this in, in terms of one-on-one, right? If uh, if if you and I are playing a one-on-one and you are a better shooter than me, which I think that you probably are, but I am uh, like, I am a little bit more physical, a little bigger, a little more athletic. And like that mm-hmm. is going to, I'm going to pound. So you, you early on, you may get some separation on the jumpers, but on those, on those fifth and sixth jumpers in the one-on-one game, you're going to feel that a little bit more. And then I'm going to probably just be able to get to the rim. Like it's a, that's what, what is so cool to me about basketball is that it's, yes. it, it has to be this mix of the size and the speed and the skill and all that. But I, but like at the end of the day, this is why LeBron is who he is too. I will go with the guy that's a little bit more athletic over the guy that's a little bit more skilled, unless you get to the exception of the, of like the Kobe Steph Curry level of skill, you know, like that's, a, that's, and that's the once in a lifetime type level skill and then you've got the jordan who's the mix of both so yeah that's that's a that's a whole nother uh another podcast but that's that's where i worry from that chris paul versus what the bucks have standpoint and to further your analogy about going the skill versus athleticism is the longer that that matchup goes on the more it favors the better athlete right the less that this move or this fit because when we talk about skill what's the whole point of offensive basketball especially when the ball is in your hands and even even off of the ball it's creating space it's creating separation from your defender which requires a certain amount of fooling them right and that can be with great technique it can be with a great fake it can be with all of these different techniques but it's still predicated on the idea of I'm going to do something that you weren't quite expecting. And this is something as in, as a shorter player myself, I knew the angles, if I was around the basket, if I shot the ball normally, it'd get swatted into the fifth row. So I knew how to stick out my hip and, you know. You're that, you're that English up, Pete? Yeah, got yeah, got all the okay, different spins. Okay. You gotta gotta cut it underneath or put that top spin on it, right, to, to finish, uh, you know, or where to shoot a floater. But if a guy knew there were some guys that I play with that I played with all the time and they knew all the bullshit that I would try to pull to, you know what I'm saying? And this is obviously on a, on a pickup game level of basketball, but, and they would, they would not bite on my fake because they'd seen it so many times. And that's kind of what goes with Chris Paul, right? Is that like drew holiday playing the same guy over and over and over again. And all of the bucks playing Chris Paul, like you fall for things less frequently than you would if you just face them once in January. So to maybe wrap this up, I, I think a really good example of this, I just mentioned his name, but Steph Curry. And so Steph's got all of that. He's got all the finishes with both hands yes. and the English and the footer. But when things got down to it, game seven against Cleveland, Steph, like he couldn't get to the rim because LeBron was just going to be there. And and that was the difference. Like that was the difference. Now, ultimately, of course, Kyrie hits the step back skill jumper. But to get up to that point, 
Um, and it was not just Steph, but it was Clay. It was, it was basically anybody. There, It was just LeBron. His athleticism was not going to allow anything other than a, a step back, like contested jumper. And, and that was like, even for Steph Curry, the most skilled guy in the world, you know, maybe the most skilled guy in the history of the NBA, he just, it just, he didn't have, he couldn't get it done. He could, the athleticism finally wore out um, at that point. And it was that, it was that just that brawl um, and Cleveland emerged from that. And I think, I think LeBron was the biggest, of course, was the biggest reason why. So I, I'm fascinated to see if Giannis can, in a similar sense, just be the biggest, strongest, fastest and and that ends up just being the ultimate difference in this series, as opposed to Phoenix having enough skill to fend off the Bucks, and uh, and it's going to be a, a fun couple of games to see. Yeah, going to be fascinating to see how this uh, series wraps up. And I think that Chris Paul is going to have to have a superhuman effort as a scorer at some point to to be able to make that happen. And going to be a lot of drama to see that. And um. Being a bigger, faster, stronger team has been so central to the Lakers' identity in this particular era that uh, we're going to come back and talk about that in the next pod on the next episode of the Laker Film Room Podcast. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.